Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Foul Front Outdoors Waterfowl Podcast, where our goal is to recruit and educate new hunters while entertaining the rest of you. Without new hunters and the mentorship of those more seasoned, this passion as we know it faces an uncertain future. So get the word out, turn the volume up, and enjoy the show, because you're on the Foul Front. All right, today I'm joined by my good friend Matt from over at uh, High Prairie Sportsman. Matt, how you doing today? Oh, not too bad. Can't complain. Yeah. What have you been up to, man? Uh, getting on some ducks. I've trying been, to. <laughs> I've been seeing that. Um, I don't keep track of uh, um, the YouTube page only because you send me um, the videos beforehand all the time. And so I'll, I'll see, I'll get a notification that you've got a new video out and I'll be like, oh, I watched this one two days ago. So. If anybody wants to know the perks of being friends with uh, YouTube duck hunters, um, it's that you get content a little earlier. <laughs> but that's it. There's no other. There's no other benefits. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, well, how many uh, how many hunts you got under your belt? Oh well, let's see here. Seven, ten, twelve, fourteen. Fourteen, oh I believe. Gosh, are you looking at your freelance hunt stats right now? Well, uh, no, I haven't updated it for this year yet. I'm still a year behind on updating that. But I need oh, you're to. like backfilling it. Yeah, okay. I, it's kind of an off season hobby for me. You know, get ready for duck season by going through it. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I've got my freelance hunt stats up right now, and you said you've been on fourteen hunts. This year already? Yep. What would you guess, how many hunts um, have I been on? Uh, well, I know you've been on at least two. I'm going to go with five. 
I have been on four hunts this year. Ow. I know. I know. I'm. Don't worry. My zone, uh, it comes in this weekend um, here in Kansas, and I will be getting after it. Actually, I won't be getting after it this weekend. I have work all weekend and a wedding in Kansas City. So, oh. yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to take a personal day, though, and uh, just get out and just randomly pick a spot and then do some scouting afterwards. Man, I, I could I could go on on something about that, but I, we'll just move on. What? What? <laughs> I, just, I, you know, I am. Just, I'm not a. I'm not a big believer in fall weddings. I just I don't like them. Oh yes, <laughs> for well, couple reasons. <laughs> in all fairness, I really do like the couple, um, and they are total non hunters. So that would be lost on them. But are they football fans? See, that's. That's two things you got to worry about with that fall wedding. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they are, um, but I know that it is an evening wedding. I don't, okay. I don't know what time the Huskers kick off, but eleven a.m. Eleven. Okay. Well, good. Actually, by the time this airs, the Huskers will have already won that game. So, throw out a score prediction. Well, uh, you go first. All right, uh, let's see. Bethune-Cookman, I'm going to say Nebraska 56, Bethune-Cookman 17. You, oh, you, they're going to put up 17? Oh, third string. Oh, okay, I get I get what you're saying. Where are they from? Where is Bethune-Cookman from? They're from Florida, just a really small school in Florida. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I've been, uh, I've been hounded in the past for going too long about uh, Husker football on here because apparently we're the only ones that care about it. But, um, yeah, so I've been on four total hunts, and I've got 18 birds down. Um, how many How many birds you got down? Okay. Um, I don't have my individual number. I've added it up yet. Uh-huh. But I can tell you for group totals, so far, as of this last Sunday, we were at 108 ducks and three geese. For the whole HPS crew? Whole HPS crew. Everyone that's gone hunting with us, that's a group total. Now, I have a question. Am I still part of the HPS crew? I consider you part of the HPS crew. I consider myself. I wear your hat all the time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can add, uh, well, I'll be pumping some video over here to you as well shortly, so... Yeah, guys, if you haven't heard, Ben is doing some video, uh, videoing his hunts, and I'm going to be editing it, and then we have his own specific playlist. So if you want to see the foul front, you know, kind of practice what they preach, that'll be on our channel. You can check that out um, on the playlist, and I'll put a link up in the Facebook group later. Yeah, should be uh, some stunning camera work, I tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> iPhone 7 and uh, two GoPros. So, but anyway, um, so yeah, I've got 12 blue wing teal down, four widgeon, and two gadwall over those those four hunts. You, now, you've been adding some people to your crew this year. Um, I'm familiar with, with Devin. Um, he's always been part of the HPS crew. Um, and is it, your, is it your future brother-in-law or what is it? <laughs> Yeah, he could be. He's uh, it's my sister's boyfriend, Heath. 
He's been joining us. Actually took him on his first duck hunt teal season. And uh, my sister's kind of mad at me because now he doesn't have money to buy her stuff because he bought decoys and all the gear. Oh, yeah. And I was like, well, you just tell her to talk to me. I'll handle her. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that the the video that you sent me yesterday, is that up on YouTube? Yep, that's live. Just went live this afternoon. All right, dude. The far away camera, when it's like looking at you guys, um, you, you know which one I'm talking about, The like the furthest camera away from you? Yeah. That footage, that scenery right there, that is gorgeous. Yeah, it's that's why I love hunting the sand hills. You know, I um, if it wasn't such a drive for us, I'd hunt it almost until it froze up. But uh, it, it's just so beautiful up there. It's, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't talk it up enough. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, uh, the main gist of today's episode uh, the other day, Matt. And me, uh, we were talking, Matt and I, excuse me, we were talking, and I said, hey, man, we got to do an episode together again. And we started throwing around some ideas on what we wanted to do, and the next thing you know, uh, he's like, let's, let's cover the most controversial topics that waterfowlers like to argue about. And I was like, sweet, let's do it. And then he tagged me in this post that he put on Hardcore Waterfowler um, on the Facebook page. And there was 190, like, I think there's 193 comments now. Yeah, my phone's been going off nonstop. <laughs> what have you done? I, I don't know. <laughs> Someone, another buddy texted me. He's like, you just want to watch the world burn, don't you? I'm like, no, I was just trying to <laughs> trying to get a good feel. But Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy. So we decided that we were going to pick some of those, some of our favorite ones. And uh, give our own take on them and talk about maybe why it's silly that people argue about them or why they should argue about them and just kind of go at it. So what do you think? Yeah, you want to start it off? I'm pulling it up right now, Ben. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think the number one thing, um, and I don't, I don't know if it's the most controversial thing, but I think that it's something to be talked about. Sky blasting. Yep. Yeah, I would agree. The intent for us to be talking about this is not just so that we can air out like a bunch of like dirty laundry or bring negative light to hunting. It's uh, for the new guys um, out there. Maybe we'll bring to light on stuff that you shouldn't ask on hardcore waterfowler if you don't feel like feeling bad about yourself or something, um, or just to be like a cognizant and aware of kind of how the community uh, treats some of these topics. Um, and then for, you know, the more advanced people that have been around for a little bit, hopefully we uh, entertain you um, a little bit with, with some of this. So, But back on to sky blasting. Matt, yeah, so... what? Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, please. Uh, yeah, I think the main issue with this thing, and I guess... Uh, the main issue I have with this is, you know, there's two things for a lot of these controversies or uh, or some, at least some of them, the main, I look at two things for them. Uh, number one, is it legal? Number two, is it ethical? Uh, sky busting is legal. You know, uh, is it ethical? That is up for debate. But uh, I think the thing that gets really lost in these conversations is 
there's not a definitive answer for a definition of sky busting or sky blasting. I mean, you ask 10 different people, you're probably going to get 10 different answers. You know, the, the yardage out or uh, there's just so many variables that one person might consider sky blasting, the other person might not. Yeah, I Would think, you agree with that? Absolutely, and I think it comes down to, I think one person on there even said, that's not sky blasting if you don't miss. Um, and I guess my own personal definition of sky blasting is taking a low percentage shot. Um, and by that, what I mean is sometimes that is distance. Sometimes it's uh, where the, the birds are coming in and how fast they're coming in, um, from which angle and whatnot. Cause there's plenty of 40 yard shots that I feel comfortable with, um, in some situations, but then there's also situations where, uh, 20 yards is, is the farthest I feel comfortable shooting. Um, and I think that varies for, for everybody, kind of that sweet spot. Uh, a, a big thing that I don't like to see is, Birds not decoying, coming on the pass at 40 yards at the very, you know, maximum effective range of your weapon. Um, and not, they're not, you didn't trick them, uh, but they come into your your little uh, danger zone and you take a low percentage shot. Yep. Uh, I, think you, I think you hit it right on the head there, uh, Ben. Um, you know, it, it really is... Uh, low percentage shot i think that's the best way to define it because you know maybe you're a crack shot and you can hit them at 70 is that sky busting if you're confident in your ability or you know maybe you don't maybe you can't hit the broadside of a barn and you try taking them at 30 and you miss is that sky busting i mean it's it's the low percentage shot and that varies on the individual at least in my perspective yeah and, and also so i think it um a big play is where you're hunting public land right on public land I, I think there's a it's kind of a dichotomy because i think that if every public land hunter only shot the ducks that were coming into his spread um instead of trying to hit those passers um trying to hit the ones that are pulling out they're bailing out at 50 yards that somebody else might get a shot at i think that's what you i think that's what you call sky busting but this week's episode is brought to you by the following partners Hunt Hickory Creek. New to Hunt Hickory Creek this year is their Central Kansas Lodge. They're going to be running hunters from the end of October all the way through January. And they're situated right between Kavira and Cheyenne Bottoms, which combined can hold hundreds of thousands of birds at a time. And these guys are going to work their tails off. you got Chase, you got Cody, you got Scotty, and then you've even got um, Megan in there taking pictures. Guys, if you're going to be traveling outside of your state um, and you're going to pay for guide service, don't roll the dice. Come into our Facebook group, pick Chase or Scotty or Cody's you know, brain, figure out who they are, and uh, make sure that you're going to be booking a hunt with them because they're not just awesome guides, they're great people. They're going to show you a great time. So, if you're going to hunt Kansas, hunt Hickory Creek. We're also brought to you by Dive Bomb Industries, the fastest growing, most affordable decoys on the market with unmatched customer service. Now, you can find them on Facebook, Instagram, or DiveBombIndustries.com, and you can find Asher in our listeners group, and get yourself into a large, effective, affordable, and easy-to-set-up spread. It takes about a minute uh, to set about a dozen, and they take up no space in the garage or truck. They're tough, extremely realistic, and go get yourself twice the decoys, half the price, none of the hassle. Um, also brought to you by Toe Tags, LLC. Now, federal... 
Migratory game bird laws apply in all 50 states, and that includes yours. Which includes gifting and tagging laws. Make sure to keep your birds separated and or tagged when transporting or storing them uh, with other hunters' birds. Now, this includes from the field to home as well. Gifting in the field, though commonly done, never legal. Uh, it must be done at the donor or donee's personal abode. Hey, for other helpful hints and to keep yourself legal, go check Toe Tags LLC out on Facebook, or you can hit up Ryan um, in our Facebook group, um, or you can head on over to ToeTagsLLC.com. So have fun, be safe, and keep it legal. We're also brought to you by Athlon Optics, which produce some of the finest shooting scopes and binoculars on the market. Their ED glass is top-notch and rivals the glass of binos three or four times their price. You're going to be able to pick a goose out in a depression from half a mile with these things. I'm telling you, they're tough, sturdy, and this is where Athlon Optics goes above and beyond with their lifetime warranty, which is critical for us waterfowl hunters. I sport the Midas 10x42, and I am extremely pleased with them. So head on over to Athlon Optics and get yourself a top-of-the-line binocular system for this season at a fraction of the price and a no warranty, a no worries warranty. We're also brought to you by Freelance Hunt Stats, and I got to tell you, I'm really excited to be using Freelance Hunt Stats this year. Um, if you've never logged your hunts in the past, start doing it, um, especially with FreelanceHuntStats.com because it's not just a journal. This thing can catalog all of your information, and you can go back. You can look at like how you do on sunny days. It's going to be a game changer for you. So head on over to FreelanceHuntStats.com and start logging your hunts this season. We're also brought to you by duck nuts. And now I've been fighting duck, um, decoy rigging systems since I started wrapping, coiling Texas rigs. Talk about a pain in the butt. I work hard. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of the morning, it's time to go home and duck nuts allows me to do that so that I can rig my decoys that all I got to do is throw them in a bag. And with our friction system, it's too easy to just pull the line and pack it up and, or just throw them out. It, It, it allows you to adjust for depth, and if you're tired of fighting your decoy rigs, head on over to ducknuts.com and use your 10% off code with Foul Front um, discount code. We're also brought to you by Gypsum Creek. Now, Gypsum Creek is a full-service gun dog training facility in the heart of the Midwest, and they are looking to build eager, confident, and reliable field companions through a unique approach that you don't find at many other places. So come check out Gypsum Creek Retrievers on their Facebook um, or Instagram, or you can hit up Evan, the owner, in our Facebook group. And I promise you, this guy loves your dog more than you do and loves teaching them how to retrieve more than you do. Um, I got to spend a uh, weekend out with them, and it was an awesome time, I'm telling you. Um, the What they got going on over there, that's where you're going to want to send your dog. All right, we're also brought to you by the Duck Tech mobile app. Um, increase your odds of success in the blind this year with the Duck Tech mobile app. Three-time world ch- duck calling champion Barney Caleb teaches you how to make the most important duck sounds and what they mean to a duck and when to use them, the most important part. Duck Tech is also available to download on the App Store and Google Play. With the season approaching, get the app today so you can put more ducks on the strap tomorrow. We're also brought to you by SRB Field Rests. No matter what, where, or how you hunt, SRB, SRB Field Rests got you covered. Uh, they're going to keep your shotgun, rifle, or your bow, or your crossbow safe, clean, and ready for the, uh, in the field or on the range. Waterfowl hunters in a dry field, a muddy field, marshes, flooded fields, or flooded timber. SRB Field Rests has you covered. Go check them out. They've got a 10% discount code for you with Foul Front, all under case, one word. We are also brought to you by Gunner Kennels, the market's only double-walled, roto-molded dog crate and five-star crash-tested rated kennel. 
These American-made boxes come with a lifetime warranty, and the guys over at Gunner Kennels have done some crazy stuff to show you how strong they really are, like dropping 4,000 pounds on it, hammering it with a 630-pound sled, and tossing it off a 200-foot cliff and shooting it with a 12-gauge shotgun with zero bullet penetration. You're hitting the road uh, with your dog this season. Gunner Kennels is your safest bet. Uh, protecting your best friend and your investment. So head on over to GunnerKennels.com. We're also brought to you by HTR Innovations. And you have not heard of them yet, but um, I am hunting out of their A-frame this year. And they have one of the slickest um, inventions I've seen um, for waterfowl hunting. It's an awesome little gun stand for the marsh. Um, and go, So go check them out at HTRInnovations.com. Also, here's another big thing for you. Do you absolutely hate laying in your layout blind? Well, they got something for you. So go check them out. Um, And our good buddy Jordan over there, he's going to be doing all their filming this year. Looking forward to seeing what they got. Okay, let's get back into this week's episode. If you're on private land and you got a, a bird coming in and it's, you know, committing pretty good and then it breaks off at 35 yards and you take a shot at it, that you're decently comfortable with and it goes down. I don't really, you know, I wouldn't, even though it's not the highest percentage shot, um, I don't really, I wouldn't really too much consider that sky busting. No, I'm right there with you, you know, um, and it goes back to kind of into that ethics thing that I mentioned is, um, say you do hit a bird. Now what is that bird going to sell on you? Or are you going to be able to, retrieve that bird you know that's that's the big key that you know the whole point of hunting or one of the things is you're trying to go out there and bag a duck or a goose and if you're just shooting just to shoot and maybe hoping for one lucky pellet to break a wing or hit it in the hit it in the head or whatever and then it sails on you you're probably not going to get that bird so you're just you're wasting shots you're educating birds and you're you know you're just hurting the population it's it's not a good thing if you're doing that. Yeah. Another thing I think that a lot of people don't um, consider with sky busting, you got a group comes in, bam, bam, bam. You hit three of them, they go down, and then there's the one, there's always that bam, 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 bam. You know, that guy taking that last throwaway shot um, at, a, at a bird that's 50 yards out, um, tail feathers in your face. You know what I mean? So. Yep. Sometimes you don't got to finish the whole group, but, um, yeah. And I'm, I'm sure we could do a whole episode just on sky busting, but <laughs> you want to move on and do another one or yeah, let's go the opposite. Cause, uh, I think you have some strong feelings on this water swatting. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've, I've done a video on this actually before, uh, my personal philosophy, you know, I don't try to water swat. I don't have an issue doing it. Uh, specifically on divers, you know, if you watch any of our videos, we'll stand up and we'll yell, like, get up, duck, and we'll even try walking towards them to get them up. Them divers, though, they'll just swim out. So uh, those are the ones that usually that will water swat if we do at all. Uh, the, the dabblers, though, you usually just yell at them and they'll jump up and we'll shoot them. But I don't have any if anyone does water swat. I mean, you did you did the goal of getting the birds in the hole, um, and that you could argue that that is a more ethical shot. You know, shooting a sitting duck is 
probably easier than shooting a flying duck. You could argue something about penetration late season and maybe on a goose and stuff, but uh, uh, that at least that's my thoughts on it. Yeah, I think I've I've got some thoughts on it as well, and one of those is is um, that I don't think it's easier to shoot um, or to kill a a duck on the water because um, literally only a third of it is um, sitting above the water line. That's a fair point. And I personally find it a lot easier to knock knock down birds. I guess you can't knock down a bird that's sitting on the water. But uh, I like shooting flush ducks because the whole the whole target's up. You know, you can hit the whole thing, and I think they're just they go down a little they go down a little quicker when uh, when you shoot them in the air. Yeah. Yep. Now that being said, um, I do agree that I don't have an issue water swatting either. Um, but if you have a good, you know, if you've got some ducks on the water and you got ducks coming in, um, shoot the ducks in the air first. And then when the other ones flush up off the water, get them as well. I think it's just that's a more efficient technique. Um, however, you know, if you got just a couple that come all the way into the spread, yep, you did it right. You, you fooled them. <laughs> so take your bounty yep. however you please. Exactly, exactly. So. I guess that kind of, uh, I don't, I think a lot of people think that water swatting is illegal. And I, I know that I've had some people tell me, oh, well, in, in my state, it's illegal. And I, I'm like, oh, is it? I don't know their state laws like they do, I guess. But I think that it's a misnomer um, the, versus ethical versus actually being illegal or not. Yeah. And you know, it could also, I think part of the stigma that the negative stigma associated with water swatting, it goes back to the old duck clubs, you know, back in the twenties, thirties, forties, whatever, um, where it was more of a sporting thing. You know, the, it was a gentleman's shoot. You would, you don't shoot a duck on the water. And that kind of, that's kind of the mentality of the people that are against water swatting, like hardcore, at least from what I've gathered. Yeah, and perhaps uh, there might have been a law back in the day, way back in the day, because I know that that's how they used to just decimate cans. Um, they'd roll up that punt gun in that little John in that flat bottom, and they'd sneak up on them, and right at daylight they'd they'd pound them um, on the water with those punt guns. So there might have been like a law or regulation or something to help curb that when market hunting started going out. Um, but I don't know if we're if I'm wrong. And there are states that it is illegal to shoot a duck on the water. Go ahead and comment um, and let us know. So, all right, I got one for you here, Ben. Okay. Going through shooting hens. Oh man! And I have I have some really strong feelings on this one. So <laughs> so do so do I. Honestly, all right. I think this goes back to my feelings on. Duck identification, and it's very uh, a, a personal, very it was a very close thing to uh, to my heart because remember I only started water fountain hunting five or six six seasons ago. This will be my sixth season, and I didn't have anybody to show me um, what was what. And I did watch YouTube videos and look at pictures and all that stuff, but I started hunting like literally halfway through a, a, an active season, and so I, I I just wanted to get out there. And so 
the way that I, I obviously, I didn't want to be illegal. I knew what a duck was. I knew the difference between a duck and a coot. I knew the difference between a duck and a herring. You know what I mean? Herring, yeah. A heron. Sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so I would identify, okay, that is a duck. And I'd shoot the duck. Knowing that, okay, the most restrictive limit I have is, okay, I can only shoot two of these pintail things. I can only shoot two of these canvas back things. Okay, so I, I'm never going to take any more than two ducks. And uh, once I got it in hand, I'd be like, okay, so this is a blue wing teal. I know that this is a blue wing teal. I know that I can shoot um, six of those. And then, um, you know, I would shoot the next group that came in, and I usually just take one or two birds. I, I knew that I couldn't take more than two birds. Um, because if I shot three birds, uh, which would be a miracle, honestly, um, there was a potential of me shooting three pintails or three canvas backs. So every time I'd, I'd get one in hand, I'd say, okay, so that, that's what a blue winged teal looks like in flight. Oh, okay. That's what a mallard looks like in flight. Um, so I know that I can only shoot two of the hens of the mallards. And so I'd say, okay, I've got one hen mallard in my bag now. So that means I can only shoot one duck at a time now. So group come in, bam, and I would kind of do it safely that way. And then that way I still got to hunt and harvest, um, and I got to learn, you know, what birds looked like on the wing out in the field. Um, so that's kind of my way of going about it. Now bringing it back down to hens, right? There are a lot of species, um, that are difficult (laughs) to differentiate the hens versus the, you know, the drakes. And, I mean, honestly, there's a lot of people out there, um, and and this goes back, there's a lot of people out there that they don't really have the luxury to just be picking out drakes if they want to harvest. Yep. Um, and, and so I'm kind of in the, in the camp where I don't feel like hunters, after, you know, there's a reason we have the bag limits the way that we do, um. And if it was really that bad, they'd say, hey, you can only shoot this amount of hens um, like they do with the mallards. Um, But there's that whole argument versus, hey, dead hens don't lay eggs. And then you might be taking a bird out of the breeding population um, or you might be shooting a bird that was doomed to die that season anyways. So how do you feel? Okay, so – uh, I'll try not to go on too big of a rant here, but, uh, you know, I, I hear this, I see that people comment this on our videos every now and then, you know, dead hens don't lay eggs. Why do you shoot the hens? Um, so on and so forth, just stuff like that. And it's like, come on, you know, we're duck hunting. If, if it's a duck, we're probably going to take it. I mean, obviously, would we like to shoot a bunch of greenheads? Yeah, sure. Anyone would, or drakes of any species. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, we're trying to, trying to get some meat to eat we're trying to um trying to fill our limit so we can you know come and enjoy them when we get home but uh, <clears throat> just a sec <laughs> got something in my throat crap <clears throat> all right uh can you cut that ben nope i'm keeping it in <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, i'll cut it okay um but no at at the end of the day the U and you just hit on it just a little bit. U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service sets those bag limits for a reason. Like migratory birds are one of the most heavily regulated species 
by any wildlife organization? Was it, you know, between U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, your state game and park or game and fish commissions, all that? They are super heavily regulated. And if you think that they're going to let anything detrimental that they can control, the I, you know, talking specifically hunting here, they're not going to let that happen. They would change the regulations. In fact, they just did on the East Coast for the Atlantic mallard population. They can only shoot two next year. They can only shoot one hen, one drake. So that's an example of them, you know, being proactive, seeing the population is trending down and uh, adjusting the limits. Right. But, sorry. But another thing is, uh, if you really want to look at where the duck population, like, you know, dead hens don't lay eggs. Well, that's true. But if you want to actually look at what truly affects the duck populations, like hunting is a very minuscule, uh, just a drop in the bucket that affects hunting, or, or it's just a drop in the bucket that affects duck population. Try to talk here. It's just a drop in the bucket that affects duck populations. If you actually want to look at and see what affects it the most, it, look at your breeding habitat or just habitat in general and then your nesting conditions. Those are your two main things that are going to affect your duck populations for the upcoming year. Yeah. I, what is it? It's causative and correlative. I can't remember what, what it is. but um, Yeah, something like that. But, yeah, um, I would say if you're in a position where you've got enough ducks around um, and your species identification is – as on point as uh, you say it is on the internet, go ahead, please. Just target just the drakes. Um, but I don't want any new hunt. Nothing chaps my butt worse than when a, a new hunter goes out and says, guys, I shot my first limit. And limits aren't everything. And I, I'll say that. No, they, no. They're not everything. And um, But <laughs> you'd be hard-pressed to find a guy that isn't going out there with the, you know, the image of his head like, a duck hunter being like, "Oh, I want to. I'd really like to shoot a limit today." Guarantee you, that's in the back of everybody's mind, whether they say it is or not. Actually, the only person I think that uh, I know for a hundred percent fact that that's not true is uh, Old Fumble Mitts from Freelance Duck Hunting. He could just be out there in the marsh, no no shells, and be perfectly fine. But yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, nothing chaps my butt worse than a new guy saying, hey, "I got my first limit." What do you think? And then some expletive guy says hey that's a lot of hens you know and yeah uh, you know goes into ripping it and then now that dude you know he's thinking oh man that sucks (laughs) and this that actually that's another good point like that i i'm the same way i hate when people i call it hen shaming um you know it's and it's not just limited to waterfowl you see it all the time someone shoots a small buck and you're like oh well you couldn't find a bigger one or something like um there's actually a really good article on facebook today i just saw about that exact scenario but uh these people i don't know why we as a group of hunters feel the need to tear down someone else's you know they had a successful hunt they're proud in their quarry i don't know why we have to tear them down because you know we're getting it at all sides from all different angles you know the anti-hunters and everything else we need to come together and build each other up not tear each other down like we need to solidify as hunters as outdoorsmen as conservationists and uh you know build each other up 
Yeah, I, I don't. I don't like you know, tear each other down like that. Uh, and I think that comes from one thing. And then this is the last thing. I think we can probably leave it after this. But um, I think that comes down to um, it's people. A lot of people view it as competition. And, and there's two things I think that drive that competition thing is uh, we're all kind of shooting at the same resource, and we're all kind of dealing with the same stuff. And so. Um, there's a lot of people that do feel that it is competitive and competition, you know, especially on public land when there's only X amount of public land and Y amount of hunters, um, you're going to get people that are competitive. Um, and then the other competition thing I think comes down to everybody puts in a lot of work. I think a lot of the, the people that, um, are real serious about hunting. They put in a lot of work and a lot of time and they never want to seem like they're like, they don't want any of that devaluated. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. So I think it's hard for people to, you know, maybe like not compare themselves to others. I just have one final point on this and then we can move on to another one. But, uh, and I, I always ask two people, I always ask these people that ask me, you know, like, why do you shoot hens or, um, you know, why not just shoot drakes or whatever? I always ask them two questions. I'm like, number one, do you go goose hunting? Number two, do you hunt early teal season? Because if they say yes to either of those, I got them. You know, they just tore apart any standing that they had. Because if you're hunting goose season or teal season, you're shooting females, whether you know it or not. And, I mean, you're, you're pretty much a hypocrite at that point. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to get a lot of comments on this one. That's good. I'm sure, yeah. This is going to be a controversial episode. <laughs> At the end of the day, I, I mean, I don't really give a crap. Um, it, you know what I mean? There's no. so, so many opinions, and I'm sure we'd all just share a duck blind just as, just as easy. So, Yep. All right, I got one for you. All right, let's hear it. Two and three quarter, three and three and a half inch shells. Oh man, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I shoot the threes at ducks. I shoot the three and a half. I'll throw three and a halves at geese. Um, I don't really do two and three quarters except for like doves. Yeah, I'll shoot. I'll shoot two and three quarters um, if that's all that's left. I'm I, I'm really bad. Every year I say I'm going to buy shells in bulk, but then I never end up doing it for some reason or another. And there's always some situation where it's like I go down to academy or something real quick, and it's like oh. Well, every other duck hunter has beat me to the shelf and I can either drive all the way to Walmart or wherever else. Um, but it's like 7 PM and I want to go home. Here come the two and three quarters, baby. What one thing I will say about the two and three quarters is you need to really watch your plug length. Cause I mean, you can, might be able to fit only three and a three, three and a half in there or even three, three inches, but you can sometimes, I mean, depending on how long your plug is, you can get four in there or the game warden can yeah. and uh, he'll get you. You know, they'll, I've seen game wardens. I've heard stories. They only carry two and three quarters so they can, you know, just in case. Hmm. Interesting. So something to think about. Yeah, that is, I, I never thought about that. So, um, and when it comes to, I've, I've never shot a three and a half inch shell, um, because I have a Browning BPS, and it only can handle three inches. And so most of the time, I just shoot three inches. If you want to shoot three and a half, I think that's on you. And I don't think anybody should be upset about it. Yep. 
Uh, I mean, I don't really get the whole debate. Yeah, just shoot whatever, and uh, as long as you're hitting them, if you're hit, making a good shot, you're making a good shot. I mean, three and a halves might have a little bit more BBs in them, I guess. But um. yeah, I one time I I can't remember it was it was a joke, but um, someone's like, "Why do you shoot three and a half inch shells?" And the guy responded with, "Because they don't have four inch shells." <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Um, you got one up or not? I'm still looking. God, there's so many going through here. Oh, okay. Here we go. Uh, I haven't heard this. I've only heard this a few times mentioned, but, uh, water hunting versus field hunting, which is the only way to do it. Right. Um, and so interesting. Um, I didn't even know people held, there's, there's some people out there that, Say you do not hunt them on the water. You don't hunt geese on the water. You only hunt them in the field. Um, and I didn't know that until Elliot um, from Freelance was was talking to me about it. Um, and because there's a lot of people that say, "Hey, leave them on the water. That's where they roost. That's where they like you know hang out." And if you shoot, if everybody's shooting on the water, um, we're going to drive them all south too quickly. <laughs> um, and there's some diehard field hunters out there, and I did not. I did not know that that existed. I, I've never met one, but I feel like if I ever did and they would, you know, talk to me about why I waterfowl hunt or why I hunt water, well, I mean, just look at the name of the species they're hunting. They're called waterfowl for a reason. Sure. And don't get me wrong, field hunting, that can be fun, but there's something about watching the sunrise, you know, like reflecting off the water, having the, you know, the wind and the waves, and it's just, it's a lot different, and I, I like hunting a lot more. Um, I don't, you know, once again, it's kind of a pointless argument to me. Just let let people do what people do. As long as they're legal and ethical, I don't really have any qualms with any of these controversies. Yeah, uh, I'm, the, I'm the same way. Um, and I think, um, I'm not saying any, if, if someone is listening to this and they're like a diehard field hunter, um, I, I understand your ideology. Um I mean, part of it makes sense to me, you know, like the, the more you can just hit them where they're feeding or trying to feed instead of trying to relax and rest and recuperate for their flight South, um, you know, probably the, the longer they're going to stick around in your area. That's a, that's a solid, I think, ideology, but I think that, um, it's impractical, um, because I don't, and I didn't know this until I just started scouting fields and trying to get permission on fields, um, things like that, but it's a much more, intensive scouting process it's a much uh it's a there's actually a little bit you gotta have a little bit of skin in the game with it with knocking on doors and um paying for leases and day leases and really putting some miles on your truck and taking time away from the family um to really get after uh some geese and and ducks in the field yeah it's you know i i and another thing is it's so much harder for the beginning hunter to find those fields or afford afford those leases. I mean, if you're in a really good area, most of those fields that are open for business are probably already leased up or um, being hunted by someone. But the water, you know, there's a lot of public land that's water, and you know, a lot of people can access that, which is a good thing. It's I think the water hunting the water is a lot better for beginners um, because there's more access to it, at least in my area. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, it's going to take me two or three years to really get the amount of permissions that I'll need to be successful field hunting around here. Um, every other door, I, I don't know if you remember, every other door I knock, oh, we got people that hunt this already. We got, you know, this or that. And yeah, for yeah, a new that, hunter, I, it, it's, that's, a, that's a tough curve. And plus, I think field hunting, I think it, it's harder. <laughs> um, it's harder, and I think you have to have more gear. Like, it takes a lot more decoys. Yeah. From, at least what I've seen, I haven't really field hunted too much, but every video, you know, they have doesn't pull, pull out the big trailer and three hours before lot shooting light, they unload everything. Yeah, you're, you're coming down here for a field hunt in late season, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. It would oh. be my, well, we actually got access to a cornfield out here, so I'm going to actually be trying it. With we got a small little goose spread, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Oh, yeah. well, kind call, of excited. Call me up. See if I'm see if I'm around, and I'll bring up my my dive bomb spread. Well, yeah, yeah, so. for sure. That would definitely help. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I think we we uh, we beat that one up. Here's one that um, I I really like. How close? is too close to hunt next to another party. Ooh. Uh, I would say at a very minimum, 100 yards. And even that would be kind of irritating to me. I would prefer them be three, 400 yards away. My, yeah. My my first um, season was in Texas and New Mexico, and they have... um, law like it's in the regulations you can't set up within i think it's 300 yards of another hunting party and so i always thought that was just kind of standard now down on uh the rio grande where i really cut my teeth my first season that was uh that was pretty hard to do to set up 300 yards from someone else um granted the the thing that i did like about the rio grande hunting down there is is it got kind of communal. Um, you saw the same 10, 15 trucks and you had people that were set spreaders or set spread hunters. And then you had people that were, were jumpers. And, um, it was always nice too. Cause you, everybody kind of had their spot, um, or their several spots. And then the jump hunters would just go in between those spots and it always kept the birds moving. And, and that was nice, but um, it was still waking up real early to get to, uh, get to the preferred spot. So, yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I hunting around Lincoln for five years, I've seen a lot of different things and we've had some guys come in pretty close to us. It, it sucks, but, uh, sometimes you just got to make do with it. Yeah. I, or talk to them and join up with them. That, oh, yes, Exactly. So, okay, you want to hunt 200 yards from me? We're hunting the same birds. Yeah. We're both dumb idiots that woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning to drive an hour and a half to go sit in the freezing cold to try to shoot at some ducks. So we have something in common. I'm sure we can have a good time. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? exactly. So. And you just hit on another one here, uh, jump shooting. Mm-hmm. That's another big, uh, big controvert. Well, 
to some people, it's a big controversy. Um, I guess, you know, I, it goes right back to the legality and ethics of the situation. I don't have an issue with it. Um, growing up, we'd, we'd go and jump shoot every now and then. We'd, I prefer to have them come over the decoys. It's a lot cooler watching them work, but uh, it can be cool when you get into a big flock of them and jump shoot. Yeah, I, I don't get any like personal satisfaction anymore out of jump shooting. If someone said, hey, you want to go jump shoot this pond? I said, no, let's go find a pond like quarter mile away from it, half mile away from it, and hunt them in the morning. Um, but I'm not dissing on anybody that goes and jump shoots. If they've got a, a pond um, that they know they can go jump shoot it, and it's not, it's, you know, hopefully not a roost, uh, just yeah, more of a yep. loafing pond, um, then I think it's okay. I, I, I know that, like, on the last day of a season, um, I have no, or last day of a split, if you're not, if there's not going to be any hunting around for the next week or two, um, I don't really, I would have no qualms then about going to jump shoot, um, just because, you know, you're not going to be hunting those birds in a week and a half, two weeks. Yeah, see, I, and I can, I can get both sides, I mean, I can see both sides on this, especially, you know, if they're jumping the roost, that's one thing, compared to a loafing pond or even a field, that's a completely different thing. Yeah, now what about on a river or a small stream, you know? That, on a small stream, I, you know, I, I don't think that's too big a deal. On a river, you know, at least out here, there's a lot of roost on the river. So, sure. uh, it's, I could, I could see some people, why some people would, you know, not like that. Yeah. So the way we did it in El Paso is, um, you know, we'd, we'd hunt for the first hour and a half, two hours. And then uh, if there wasn't enough hunters out there to keep the birds moving, um, we'd pull up our spread, um, especially if we knew they, they weren't going to fly anymore that day. And we'd uh, drive down a half a mile, um, get out of the truck, load our guns back up, and then uh, sneak the, the 50 yards. Everybody would be online. All three or four hunters would be online. And we'd sneak real, you know, right up to the edge of the bank. We'd poke our heads through. And usually what would happen is one guy on either end would, uh, he'd basically take a knee and he'd wave at everybody else. And then every, he would stay um, where he was. Everybody would pull back to the road and then he'd go back and say, okay, hey, I'm going to set up um, right where I saw them. Everybody else like fan out 30 or 40 yards on, on either side of me and then they'd creep up. And that's, that's, how, we'd, that's how we'd do it down there. Okay. And so that, that was kind of fun when there's, when you're not really ruining anybody else's hunt and, um, you're still getting to shoot at birds, uh, in the air and I don't know. So. Yep. You got another one here, Ben? Um, do you have one? Uh, I can, I'm sure I can find one. There's a lot of ones that just about brand name stuff. Probably don't want to touch that too much. Yeah, there's. I don't even. I don't even want to touch this one with a ten foot pole, but I think that it might be something to, just so that our people are aware of it. Um, there's a very big um, movement or ideology of a lot of southern hunters, um, specifically in Louisiana, um, and you know, kind of the sportsman paradise, uh, or what it what it used to be. That they're you know saying that they're not seeing as nearly as many birds as they used to back in the 
seventies, eighties, early nineties, um, because dudes are flooding their cornfields up north, and oh, okay. you know, keeping the birds hanging up, um, saying saying that the migrators, you know, they basically hang out in the Midwest and then hop on on down to Mexico um, as soon as it gets too cold in the Midwest. But like I said, I think there's a lot of passion behind that one, and that goes into the whole, you know, oh, is growing crops and then not harvesting them um, or growing them specifically for uh, ducks and and hunting ducks over them, is that baiting? Um, And they, you know, liken it to the fact of, uh, well, you know, it's just like planting food plots for deer. Um, and I think there's a lot to be said about how it, it might be helpful for, you know, wintering, uh, you know, habitat for the, for the ducks moving south. And I, I don't really want to weigh in too much further about it because I don't want to too upset anybody on either side when I really don't have, um, my feelings or thoughts behind it. You know, I know that I'm in Kansas and I know that I benefit from there being a lot of agricultural land around. Um, so I'm not going to get too much, uh, too much deeper in it. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't really know too much about it. Um, it, it's really kind of up to your state game and parks or whatever it is. And it varies from state to state game and fish organizations to define that. But, uh, I can, I can definitely see how, um, how some would consider it baiting or at least question how it isn't. And I can other see, you know, I can see both sides of it just like with every, every one of these issues so far. Yeah. It, this, this is just a really tough one to uh, kind of wrap your head around though. Is And, you know, maybe we talk, have someone from the Arts Commission or something, someone or another similar organization, they could weigh in on this and, kind of tell us their logic behind it either one way or the other. Yeah. I, I think that's about all we should go into with that one. <laughs> Those Southern boys get fired up. I'll tell you what. Um, yeah. I have another one if you don't have one on deck yet. Nope. Go ahead. Okay. So this one, I've actually personally drawn a little bit of heat um, from some of the things that I've said on on different Facebook groups and whatnot. So this will be also a good little opportunity for me to really express my opinions on it. Um, Sitka. (laughs) And so a lot of people, if they read my, my comment history or or something, and, uh, you know, see what I say about Sitka, they would probably right off the bat tell you that I'm a Sitka hater or something. Um, and that's not true. Um, it's really not. Um, First and foremost, a lot of people don't know this, but Sitka is um, one of the few organizations and companies out there that's in what they call – I can't remember the specific title they call it. But they're in the um, – essentially 2% of their profits goes towards conservation. And if you look at any business model um, and you look at what 2% of you know someone's profit, there's, there's people that are fired over a half a percent of lost profit per year, even less than that. And so for a company to be giving up 2% of their income per year or their profit per year towards conservation says a lot about the organization. The other thing too is that is some high quality gear. I've touched it, 
I've felt it, I've tried some on, and no doubt about it, it is a high-quality product. Um, all that being said, I really am not a fan of a guy going in somewhere and saying, hey guys, I'm looking for a, a camo jacket um, for this hunting season. I don't have a huge budget, so you know, not really um, interested in, in the, the Sitka piece. I'm, I'm more looking for this price range. And then they end up getting talked into um, Sitka. Um, and they there's some good valuable, there's some good, you know, uh, economic, I guess, benefits to it. Where you say, oh, buy once, cry once. Um, or, hey, you're going to spend $400 or $300 on, on this jacket, but that's a jacket that you're going to have forever. And it's the best, of the, you know, best of the best. And, and, and there's plenty of different programs and people out there that can get you into Sitka for a deal and... Like by no means, if I can get a Sitka jacket for, you know, the same price I'd be looking at some other jacket, I'd probably do it. But I just don't like the, um, I guess, I don't appreciate it when anybody from, you know, uh, pushes one product super, super hard and completely devalues every other product out there. Okay. Yeah, I can, I can see what you're talking about. You know, I personally, I'm. Uh, I don't own any Sitka gear. Uh, I've seen it in stores. Per, just it's personal preference for me. I don't like how it looks. I don't like the honeycomb pattern. I'd rather, and you know, I've heard it, it tricks the birds' eyes or whatever. Um, I just don't. I don't like how it looks, so I don't ever plan on getting it. Um, that's where I stand on it. Plus, you know, the cost is also a factor for me too. So you just don't like the Optifade. I don't, I don't like, no, I don't like looking like a beehive out in the marsh. <laughs> okay. I'm it's, sure I'll probably get some heat for that. <laughs> no, and it's just one thing too. It's just, we're just two dudes in our basements talking about stuff. But, um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, brand loyalty is like one thing that's good. Um, but it's also the same thing as trying to talk a guy into buying a $40,000 truck um, when he's really on a, got a $10,000 budget. Um, I mean, in the end, we don't want to break our banks, um, too much more than we already do. Hey, if Sitka's in your price range and you want a high quality product, go buy that. That's, I don't care what you buy. Um, just don't try to beat a dude over the head with it, you know? Yeah. That's with anything, I think. So... Okay, I'm seeing this one pop up, and I don't know much about this. You know, I'm not a dog guy. Mm. I like I like having them. I don't have one myself, but I keep seeing Silver Lab pop up. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, I've heard just I, a little bit, but it's a big issue on here, apparently. I do. I know a little bit about that, and um, the main premise is that I the <laughs> someone's going to blow me up for using the wrong term or whatnot, but... Um, the American Kennel Club or whatever the equivalent of it only recognizes, um, you know, three colorations of the labs and it's, um, you know, black chocolate and golden, golden or white, yellow, yellow. (laughs) There we go. Um, (laughs) see how much I know, (laughs) but, um, so I guess silver labs, um, or whatever, as, yes, Silver Labs. 
Silver Labs are bred only for their color um, to try to get them that way. And I, I don't know if it's like a mix between yellow and chocolate or however you get to that coloration. But I guess when you're um, breeding only for color, um, a lot of other things go to the wayside like, you know, all the other things you're trying to breed for in a good hunting dog. And uh, I guess when it comes to it as well, they're not as healthy or they're not as, you know, they, they don't have all the desirable traits. And I guess it really fires some people up. Um, and if I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's, I've seen it here on like six times. Um, one of my cousins has a, a silver lab, um, actually. And the only thing I know about that dog is that they lived up in Washington and it somehow got into the trash or something um, of like one of the neighbors and like they had thrown away some brownies that had some, some special stuff in it, I guess. Um, and it was in the trash <laughs> and they had to take it to the vet cause it was like, I guess they can't regulate their body temperature. Um, if they consume any, um, special brownies. <laughs> so that's, that's what I know about it. Hmm. Yeah. I, other than it's a color lab, I don't really know much about them. So I have, you know, I don't, no. I guess I don't know yeah. what, what's, I don't know. I just, I just seen his post, like there's probably 20 comments going through this whole thing all about silver labs. And I don't think I've seen anybody saying like, I don't think I've seen a single comment on here that was like, oh, I have a silver lab and it's awesome. So there's not like any, there's not any like, I don't think there's anybody on here that's like pro silver lab. So must mean something. Here's a here's another one that's popping up quite a bit. I'm noticing is who gets the band? Yeah. So that kind of feeds into another thing, right? Um, you know, a bunch, a whole mess of birds comes in. Four people are shooting, and everybody's got their lanes, but. They're shooting lanes, but how often does do you just stick to just your shooting lane, Matt? Well, see, I, that's why I like always being on the outside. So I have a lot bigger berth than everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> okay. See, I like being on the inside so that uh, I can uh, shoot everybody else's ducks, and no one would know. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, you just don't want to retrieve them. There's a little bit of truth to that, Matt. <laughs> But, um, yeah, uh, I guess I've never even been in field when, uh, a band was taken. So I know for me, I've made it my rule, you know, obviously I want to shoot a band, of course. Um, but if a group of birds comes in and we're all shooting and unless I clearly like it's right out in front of me and I know I shot that one, you know, I'm like, Oh Yeah. Hey, that one's mine, and so is that one over there. And someone's like, yeah, I agree, because my two are over here. And then, you know, there's always that one guy who's like, oh, I didn't shoot any. But, um, well, he doesn't say that. He says he shot them all. But anyways, <laughs> unless I, like, a 1,000% know that I shot that, that bird, I don't even want the band. Because I don't want to look at that band and, like, wonder if my buddy shot it. Exactly. See, I, that's what I don't get is, like, why would you want something if you know you didn't get it? Like, that's that's where I'm at, you know. You know I want to be sure that I shot it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I and it, 
it's not just a band. If a if a hybrid duck came in, I'd want to know that I shot that. Or a quill lake goose. Right. Well, I want to know for sure because why why would I waste time and money getting it mounted or whatever, or you know keeping the band if if, if you know I didn't do that. If that it's just like a use. It's like I went to a tro you know went to a pawn shop and bought a trophy that said I won uh, whatever a football championship in high school. No, we went zero and eight my senior year. I say so. you're from Wymore. You don't have to worry about that. And yeah, no, yeah, yeah. We no, we. <laughs> Sorry, but, Wymore and residents thereof. I know there's only like ten of you, but my apologies. Hey, they're they're in the playoffs this year, so they're doing oh. they're doing better than when I was there. So. All right, uh, <laughs> go Raiders. But no, uh, <laughs> I I just I just don't get why you want why you would want something if it's you know you're not sure that it's yours. I mean, if you shot at it. And you don't know, maybe. Um, I don't foresee that happening with me too often because you know I have, I can literally go back and have a replay of it, yeah, which is true. a kind of a per. But uh, just just being out in the field, like any you know anybody, and you all shoot at it. I don't know if you know for a fact you didn't claim it. I want to claim that band. Now I'll say this: um, talking to Tony White, who he's hunted with you quite a bit. He says you're pretty uh, you're pretty on the spot with uh, calling who shot what ducks out there. Oh, that's that's an, that's just an ongoing joke. <laughs> they were they were mad I shot a widgeon. Oh, sounds pretty serious. <laughs> All right. No, I, I don't I don't really care. Um, you know, I, I try to I you know we try to ID our ducks that we shoot as best we can. Um, for obvious, you know, cause it's, yeah, you have to, you have to know which birds you shoot if you get checked or whatever. Um, of course so we try to, we try to keep them separated like that. Yeah. All right. Here's two things that I know always pop up whenever I'm out hunting with other people and we'll, we'll break it down one at a time. But the first one, I think so many arguments have been had about this particular thing in the blind with your buddies, people that you care and like decoy spreads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That, that is a high contention topic. Absolutely. Uh, it, I mean, you, and you could even add, you can expand that and I don't even know if this might be what your second thing is, but you could add mojos. Oh, we're going to get into that. Okay. So okay. I, I'll, I'll, I'll call myself out here because I know that if I don't, that anybody who's hunted with me will call me out. I am the tinkerer. So I say that I like, oh yeah, I do a dump spread where I just go dump them out there. Well, that dump spread gets dumped and then it gets tinkered with. And, uh, you know, I throw little things in out there like, oh, we're going to put a little stop, we're going to put a wad of decoys over here to kind of push them into the kill hole because they've been landing short and and then you know okay but the wind's coming this way so i also want to cut them off choke them out here so set a spread out there and uh i guess i'm i've been known to like my buddies they'll put the spread out and i'll say hey i'm just gonna you know brush the blind let you guys do it have it this time and and i guess whenever they're yakking over by the uh, uh the blind they hear shh shh of me going through the through the spread 
and move in decoys two or three feet. I don't, I don't think I do that, but I'll, I will admit that I do that all the time. You can ask Devin; he annoys him to no end. That I, I go out, and, you know, we'll throw him out and be like, "Oh, that don't look right," and I'll move it just a hair, or "Oh, that don't look right," and then, you know, after first flight. I'll be like, and you know, might have a bird flare or something. Like, oh, I wonder what they were seeing. Maybe we'll move this, move some of these over this way or something. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I am guilty of that. I, yeah, I agree. So, um, and then the other thing you're talking about, Mojo's. I have a buddy His name's Billy, but I call him Mojo Sprinkles because um, <laughs> he likes sprinkles. No kidding, chocolate sprinkles in his coffee. And, uh, on, or on his milkshake, I guess. And, um, or coffee milkshake, I don't know, whatever. Um, but he will put a mojo in front of every single hunter out there. And every time he, like, goes to get off, like, a far retrieve, I'll take all those mojos and I'll go put them 40 yards out because I don't like having a mojo in the hole. Um, but (laughs) he loves having them all, like, sitting there right in the hole. And, uh, there's just so many times where, We've had birds tackling the mojos, and he's like, yeah, see, see? And then we've had, you know, birds come in, and they're like, oh, I'm getting away from that mojo. And I'm like, yeah, see, see? So it's in the air. We'll figure yep. it out. We'll figure it out someday. But I like them, I like them early season, and I hate them late season. I just like and... putting them, like, I think they're great for long-range attraction. And so I'll, like, I'll put them... 30, 40, 50, 60 yards outside of the spread. In fact, when I, when when you hunt those desert playas, um, playas, is that how you say it? Yep. Playas. Um, I go find the highest spot that I can within like 100 yards of there, and I set all my mojos there just to attract any birds in the area to, to see it. So. Yeah. Um, crap, lost my train of thought there for a second. No, uh, thing. If I'm hunting public land and I'm looking around at everyone else's spreads, you know, kind of where we hunt, you can see everyone else. It's kind of just a line, and it hooks around, and you can see pe- other people set up in boat blinds and stuff. If I'm looking around and I see everyone else has three or five or twenty mojos, who knows? Uh, I'm not putting one out. I'm I'm keeping it in just because you know. Especially as, as the year goes on, those ducks, they get wise to those mojos. And every now and then, specific occasions, I'll bust it out, if, especially if I'm the only one on the marsh. But uh, when other people are having the mojos, I'm not having mojos out. I'm just, just letting the wind do the work on my just my decoy spread. Yep, absolutely. All right, so the second part of that is calling. <sighs> Okay, well, kind of, I guess I'm, I like to shut up. Uh, you know, I think it was Fred Zink, he has a quote about, you know, the best decoy call is the call, or the is the decoys themselves, kind of the location and the decoys. You know, he said, let the decoys do the work. And I'm paraphrasing here, you can look up the actual quote, but uh, that's, that's where I'm at. You know, I, and I'll admit I'm not the best caller in the world anyways, but... Uh, I like to just shut up, maybe do a couple little confidence quacks, maybe a little chuckle here and there, and get them in there. I don't like really hammering on a high ball to pull them in. I know some people do, and as soon as you know it'll be shooting hours, they're hammering on that high ball all until they leave. 
Yeah. yeah. And I, I kind of adopt the um, tails and tips method. Um, I don't like... I don't like calling it ducks that are coming right toward me, but as soon as they, you know, bank off, I'll hit them with something. And and uh, when it comes to like high balling calls, if it's super windy and they're not, you know, they're quarter mile away or whatever, and I know it's probably in vain, but you know, I'll throw a couple high balls in there and just to maybe try to get them to look and see what's going on. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I think that. You can't say, you know, for certain this calling technique is, you know, this call type of call brings them in. I think you have to um, just be adaptive. So, yeah, it's it's so, you know, like a lot of things with hunting, it's just so variable on the weather, on the time of year, you know, what birds are around, how much pressure they've seen, um, all that will affect. I mean, not just calling, but decoy strategy and everything else. Yeah, I and I going back to so last year in Oklahoma, I I just put the calls down for like a good week and a half because like it didn't feel like the my calling was working at all. And we were shooting a I, I think I'm pretty sure it was a a group of local ringnecks and like local widgeon, um, and with anyways, but you know. We kept hearing the, you know, the widgeon was, you know, that kind of thing, yeah, um, all the time. Uh, but there was always something that was always going, quack quack quack, quack quack quack, like that. And I was like, what the heck? What the heck is that? And so I started emulating that, and sure enough, it was like it was just, you know, big little half, you know, big little half is kind of what I did, and they were responding really well to it. And so that was just from me listening. And that was kind of like our go-to call for, a, you know, a good three weeks there while we were shooting those um, residents. And, you know, then when the migrators came through, obviously, you know, all bets off. But Yeah. Yeah, I've, I, you know, I've, I, I've kind of found to work too. You kind of list, it just goes into your scouting. Listen to what the birds, listen to how they're talking, how they're set up. And then try to imitate that as close as you can, and usually you'll have pretty good results. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, here's another one that I I like asking people: spoonies. Love them. Do you? Love them. Love them. I I have no issue shooting spoonies. Devin hates them. I love them. I don't really notice. You know, some people say they t- taste like crap. I don't really notice it. Um, yeah. I don't have a I don't got a problem shooting them. Um, I some of my friends might tell you that I do just because if I see a group of spoonies coming in, I usually I lay off and I I don't really go after them just because I, I think one of the third or fourth birds I ever like cooked up and tried to eat was a spoonie and um, I didn't I don't think I did it any uh, any favors and uh, I had a, I've come a long way in how I. Uh, cook waterfowl, but they usually end up in uh, my my famous surf and turf chili that I make. <laughs> so the surf being diver ducks and the um, turf being venison. So, ooh, I, I I swear I've talked about this like probably ten times on the podcast, maybe, but I can't remember if I've specifically. I'll save it for the Thanksgiving. Uh, Thanksgiving episode, perhaps. 
So you're yeah. in the, you're in the you're in the Spoonie shooting camp. Okay. I I yeah. don't I don't think that I am. So I'll sh- I'll I'll shoot Spoonies. I don't I don't like to shoot coots. Um, you know I know that's another one I've seen on here. Yeah. A lot of people are shooting coots, especially after that video went viral of them eating redhead eggs or something or just breaking them. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. You know, I can get that. I get why people do. The only thing is, you know, if I'm going to shoot it, I want to utilize it. I don't want to just shoot it and throw it in the trash or, uh, you know, throw it throw it away. Like, I would want to if, – if I had a good coot recipe that I knew was amazing, I would shoot coots. But I don't – I haven't found one, <laughs> so I, I, I just let good, them go. I heard they make great dog treats. Well, I don't have a dog. That's true. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, so you know, it it goes kinda of, kinda of goes with snow geese too. Uh it's I haven't really had many opportunities to hunt snow geese, but you know, what do you do with them after you get them all? I know Tony has a really good recipe that I if I went snow geese hunting, that's what I would use them for, but shooting 70 birds and then like, Oh, now I got to skin all these. And <laughs> I think that's my, that might be where I break down and take it to a, uh, um, a processor. Yeah. If, yeah. if I've got 50 birds on the ground, I, I might, uh, I might throw man some change to, uh, take care of that for me. Yeah. So, well, oh, let's see. I think we've picked this pretty clean. I think so too. There's a lot just, to get on, but you know, I think yeah. we covered all the good ones at least. Let's so. see here. Yep. Yeah. So, okay, we were talking about hybrids and um, bird identification. Yeah, it, that, that's another one that keeps popping up here. I'm noticing. Um, and I think where they're coming at with bird ID and the hybrids is, you know, people shoot something and it'll be drake colored, but also have uh, some hen feathers. And then you get into, I've noticed it a couple times, you get into a big, there's big arguments on both sides. Like, it's an eclipse drake. No, it's a juvenile drake. Right. And Or it's, it's a hybrid drake mallard black duck or something you know there's you know without really seeing that bird firsthand i mean and also i don't really get the point of arguing online you're not really going to change anyone's mind but uh that's just another highly contentious subject on at, at least on this facebook page but i've also seen i've heard it in real life too is like what is this bird right i i, I agree um I don't think I've ever shot a hybrid, but I I love I love seeing like um, some of the birds Tony shoots. How does he like? How does he trophy hunt these birds? Like he just has good connections, I guess. No, I mean like he he go sit out in a, a swamp north of Lincoln, and he, isn't that where he shot that pintail? Was it pintail? Oh, the the redhead mallard. Oh yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, he got that, and well, actually, he got that not too far away from me. Okay, that's probably that was in western Nebraska somewhere. He got it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, hearing him tell that story, he's like, "Yeah, I just sat down, and five mallard drakes came in, and I noticed the blue bill on this one." And I was like, "Yeah, what a what a jerk!" <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw the I saw the you know the the third feather on his on his right wing was sticking up a little bit further. So I I decided to not shoot him because that would be hard to mount. Like, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tony should have been a fighter pilot, not a doctor. Yeah, with those eyes. But I guess that that comes from him being a taxidermist and whatnot. So, um, should we talk about any sort of like content stuff? You know, I see a couple things on here, like some, and I guess maybe you don't want to touch this because you're a YouTuber yourself, but um, like, there's some YouTubers out there that show some questionable questionable stuff um, on their. YouTube pages and whatnot, so. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to touch, you know, I'm not going to touch this. To I'll, I'll briefly, briefly hit on it, but, uh, you know, I think everyone that's on YouTube duck hunting, I think they're doing us a pretty good service there because YouTube, it's like what all the younger kids are watching, the younger audience, they're watching that. Yeah. So as long as they're getting kids into um, duck hunting or at least get an interest into waterfowling or even just outdoors in general. I don't care. Get kids outside. Keep, you know, keep our traditions of outdoorsmen and conservationists alive. Then I have really don't have too many issues with them. I mean, yeah, we all screw up sometimes. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, it's kind of one of those cast no stones kind of deals, you know. I think um, another thing too that I think a lot of people and I, kind of hate it when people say this um just being on the the near side of this happening people are like oh bunch of duck commander guys out there you know like basically you know kind of or duck dynasty dudes you know doing yeah the robertson's brought a lot of people into hunting and uh, yeah i think anybody that goes out and and you know talks about like and i get it because a lot of people have had bad experiences with newer younger hunters going out onto these places that you know their grandfathers that were taking them out and taught them you know the ways that um they they should be hunting and and these guys come out here and they don't really have a clue and honestly it's kind of on i think it's on us to police ourselves up in a responsible manner so you see somebody doing something that's dumb or questionable and maybe instead of just pulling up your spread and going back to talk crap about it at the the boat ramp you know maybe uh you know maybe when you run into them say hey guys uh just you know in, in a completely non-combative way even though it might have completely fired you up um i know like for instance a guy uh you know pulls up to your spot at you know right before shooting light or is just getting out on the lake right before shooting light um somebody once told me you know hey maybe don't be too annoyed at that guy um, cause he might've, you know, been changing a diaper and, uh, maybe the kid started crying as he was, you know, leaving the, leaving the house at three thirty in the morning. And instead of being a jerk and just leaving, he helped his wife, uh, you know, put the kid back to bed or, um, you know, something like that. And it's, yeah, you're right. You know? <laughs> so I, I, you know, I kind of have a rule that, um, if anybody like rolls up too close to me or, I usually offer them a spot in the blind. Yeah. Uh, I just saw, I think it was on hardcore 
last week or something, this guy, a uh, young kid, sat up too close to him, and he went over and talked to him. He's like, this is my first hunt. You know, I've never done it before. And so they hunted together, and he kind of showed him the ropes, and hopefully that guy's a lifelong waterfowler and can, you know, kind of has a better idea of, of how how to uh, – of kind of like public land ethics and stuff like that. So yeah. And I don't, I don't say it a lot. I don't say it like this a lot to a lot of people, but so I've only been hunting for, this is my sixth season. Um, and a lot of people would tell me, oh, you're still a rookie. You're, you know, so, yeah, I don't care. Like I do pretty good for myself and I've had to learn in, in five different States and hunt in, you know, every, seems like every year I have to restart my scouting process and I have to basically learn the area from the ground up and I still go out and I get it done. And, um, I enjoy duck hunting and, and, and goose hunting. Like I enjoy it a lot and I don't, I don't think this whole, well, this is the way, you know, my grandpa taught me and my dad taught me, and this is the way that I think you should hunt. There's some good rules out there that like some gentlemen's rules that we all need to be playing by. But guess what? It takes a long time to learn those rules if nobody else comes up and, and says it to you. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not wrong for on the first day of duck season taking every single decoy that I have um, out to my spot and setting throwing them all out. Like, that's just the way I'm doing it. Like – you don't have to get upset at me. I'm not hurting you. I'm not like, I, I just I get pretty irritated with people that go, it's either this way or not at all. You know? Yeah. Yeah. There's, you know, there's always room for gray area. It's not black and white. It very seldom is in any issue. I mean, you, and you know, people, people just need to, you know, kind of, People just kind of need to uh, mind their own business, you know, as long as they're not hurting you yeah. and, uh, you know, let bygones be bygones. Yep, yeah, I, I agree. And we could all just benefit from being a little little nicer and a little bit more um, understanding of the fact that there's a lot of common threads amongst us and, you know, we should be building this all together instead of trying to tear each other down. So, yeah, at the, you know, at the end of the day, we're all duck hunters. We're all hunters. We're all there to enjoy nature. Um, hopefully, you know, get away from the world for a few hours, hopefully get a few ducks or birds or whatever we're going for. Um, that's, you know, that's, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be fighting all this much. We shouldn't be tearing each other down. We need to stick together and come together even more as a whole, not just waterfowlers, but all hunters, fishermen too, outdoorsmen, come together because, you know, we're, like I said previously, we're getting attacked from all sides, and it, who knows? It, like, like it says in your little outro, uh, we have an uncertain future. So we're, we have to make sure that we do have a future. Yep. I agree. Absolutely. Absolutely do. Um, I think 
we could definitely get into the... <laughs> I think when it comes to brand names, guns, ammo, camo, what boats, whatever it is, um, there is a... You're always going to defend, I think, what you purchased. <laughs> Everybody wants yeah. to... Do, nobody wants to say... Uh, yeah, I spent a lot of money and time buying this one particular thing and, uh, it's just as good as the thing that you're shooting, you know, or wearing. Yeah. Yep. So I think uh, a little self-awareness on, on that as well. So different strokes for different folks. Exactly. I think that's... Uh, yeah, I'm... I'm I'm searching through, and I don't really find anything else other than uh, perhaps uh, face paint. Yeah, that you know that just goes back to the kind of Duck Commander thing you're talking about. A lot of people associate it with them, so you know that's kind of why it gets a negative rap, in my opinion. I I like it. I love it. Um, it's kind of irritating to have on, but. You know, on those warm early season days. I don't think it's irritating to have on. I think it's irritating to take off. Okay, you must not have greasy stuff like I do because the stuff I have just sucks. Like it just comes off super easy? Well, it comes off super easy, but it's like, I don't know. It looks like, you know, I can wipe it off without any water or soap, and it looks like I was just working at a mechanic shop all day. Yeah. But just, uh, you know, so you like put sunglasses on and you nudge it, and now you got it all over your hand or something. I don't like that. I, I want some quicker drying stuff, and I'm sure there's probably some out there. I just need to find it. Yeah, I agree. So, well, I guess we ought to. Uh, we're sitting at about an hour and fifteen minutes here now. I think so. I think that's about uh, about all the controversy I can take. Oh, I just came up with one. I noticed it's not on here. Uh, length of waterfowl podcast. Ah, yeah. Well, I'm in the uh, I'm in weird spot with that as well. I know some people they'll hit me up. Hey, uh, you know, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have minded it if you would have expounded on this point a little bit longer. Or hey, I'd really appreciate it if you did more episodes but shorter. And at the end of the day, do you want to know what goes into my driving factor of um, how long my podcasts are? Let's hear it. Dang it. I, I thought you were going to make some sort of joke. Um, so, I, <laughs> no, it, it goes um, – honestly, it's the interviewee, um, how long they can talk, um, and, you know, the content that we go through. Um, and then there's part of it that's, you know – like right now, I gotta I gotta go pack for work tomorrow, and you know, there's a baby, and there's a wife, and there's you know, there's editing to be done. You know all about editing. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah, there's a yeah. I'm not trying to tell my tales of woe of how hard I have it as a podcaster or anything like that. But <laughs> oh, that sounded kind of weird to like just call myself a podcaster. But anyways, yeah. little insight there into, uh, I mean, how long would you prefer my episodes be? 
hour, I don't know, hour, hour and a half is good for me. You know, I listen to them either when I'm at work or at the gym, so yeah, um, yeah. that's about right. Yeah, I think so too. And I, I always appreciate, you know, being able to have three or four podcasts that last me all week and I have, you know, 20, 30 minute commutes, so both ways. So it's nice to be able to, you know, have some some content out there and to be able to just listen to it as I please. But there's some people that like to have it fit their commute. Like they like to be able to, okay, I want to listen to 30 minutes of condensed, whatever Ben has to say, and then I need to move on to, you know, Duck Gun. I need to move on to HP. I need to move on to Meat Eater, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. Maybe not in that particular order, but who knows? <laughs> All right, Matt. Well, I appreciate you coming on, and uh, I think this was a fun one. And we're going to be hearing a little bit more from you, aren't we? Yeah, guys. If you if Ben hasn't told you, I'm uh, I'm not going to be a full time co host, but I'm going to be. You're going to hear this great voice of mine every now and then uh, in the future, probably every couple weeks or so. It depends on my editing schedule, but I'm going to help Ben run this podcast and. Uh, Hopefully bringing you some more awesome content. Absolutely. Looking forward to getting some video content out there as well. And um, me and Matt, we, we were friends long before. Um, he was a YouTuber and I was a podcaster. And and so uh, it just kind of makes sense for us to kind of uh, – we've and since day one, I mean, heck, Matt, you, you came up for the name of this podcast. Yeah, yeah, that uh... – yeah, and then you you know you sponsored me, so really appreciate that. And uh, hopefully we can keep this thing going, get it big. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not trying to make a million here, but it would be nice to just sit in my basement all the time and talk about ducks and and uh, <laughs> have that pay <laughs> have that pay uh, the internet and cell phone bill that it takes to uh, <laughs> run a podcast. So yeah, <laughs> so. But all right, buddy. Yeah, uh, I guess. When when are we gonna see you up here? Do a you got you still have to make your uh, first appearance on an HPS video? Not my first this season. I've been on HPS in the past. Well, I mean, with me. Oh yeah, I know, I know. Um, yeah, we got to break out the calendar. Because I am dying to get up back to Nebraska. Dude, I'm not going to lie. I really want to hunt the Platte this year. We can do that. I mean, no, we can't. Uh, guys, that's not where I'm hunting. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I've got a lead on some on my buddies. He's got a uh, deer hunting property that they hunt the islands on the Platte River. Okay. And they Sweet. just slay deer there. And I said, well, you guys, he's, oh, we get plenty of geese, plenty of ducks. And I said, oh, do you hunt them? He's like, oh, we go out and shoot them every now and then, but, you know, not during deer season. I said, well, that'll <laughs> be all right. We can figure something out. And he said, all right. So, we have to get on that. Yeah. So, so uh... Uh, yep. lost my train of, lost my train of thought sorry <laughs> um well what else do we got here um what are you doing what are you hunting this week 
Okay, yeah. So the entire state of Nebraska's duck season, because there's four zones, two of them have been open. The other two open this Thursday. Uh, unfortunately, I have a work training that I have to be at, so I'm not going to get a hunt all four days. I mean, I'll only be able to hunt Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I don't know. I'll see how ambitious. I might try to get an afternoon hunt in, but it's probably more than likely going to be scouting. But we're going to do some uh, hunt some new terrain. Not hunting the sand hills, at least for the foreseeable future. Might head back up there. Just, I'm kind of curious to see what it'd be like really late season or mid season. But uh, we're going to be hunting some new terrain and hopefully do pretty good there too. Awesome. Looking forward. I, I, your, your videos from the, wow, this is your third year? Second. Second year. Yeah. Your, your latest videos are, they're they're awesome, man. Not gonna lie. I appreciate that, <laughs> and I can tell that you're getting a lot. Like you're m- much better at editing and all that, and uh, like really getting a creative. You've always had a creative eye, but you're getting like a creative um, pulse on. You know, for instance, this last video, you're like, oh hey hey, they're coming in, they're coming in, and then it blacks out to your thing, bam bam bam, and it's like, ooh, that gave me a little. They gave me chills, you know. That's pretty, <laughs> pretty theatric. Yeah, I'm I'm learning video editing on the fly, so it's only taken a year <laughs> to <laughs> to get decent at it. I'm still, I'm sure I still have a bunch to learn. Oh, but, I think that can be said about everybody. So yeah, yep. We're still well. The next one coming out is uh, the one that we hunted Sunday. Hopefully get that out Friday, but uh, we actually broke the big camera out for the first time. You know, oh, yeah. was it comfortable taking that thing out on uh, the sand hills? Yeah, on a kayak. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, we got a few shots with it. Uh, not the most. The birds didn't work the greatest, but got got a couple, some good footage I think on it. We'll see how it turns out. Well, awesome, awesome. I'm really starting to appreciate all you YouTubers because. Uh, you know, there's you, and then there's Elliot and Jordan. Uh, with, so the, you know, you got you with High Prairie Sportsman. You've got Elliot with Freelance Duck Hunting. You got Jordan um, with Duck Gun Chronicles. And then there's uh, there's another guy. His name's Clayton Unruh, and I can't remember what. But you're all just really good dudes, and it's it's good to know. So you're you're good people to know, I should say. Yeah, this this whole waterfowling community, um, since I've started, these guys are just so awesome. You know, in addition to the ones you just listened, there's or just listed, there's uh, somewhere in Wisconsin. He's oh, yeah, yeah. a great dude. Iowa Plainsman, Virginia Outdoors. Um, they're those are the ones I've talked to at least. I you know can't attest to anyone else, but uh, I'm sure everyone else is a great dude as well. But it's just so cool how how close knit the community is not, and not just YouTubers. I mean, podcasters too. And, uh, it, it's just really cool what we're building here. Uh, excited to see where it goes for the future. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, I think it's an exciting time. And I think we can all, um, I, I, you know, hopefully in, you know, 10 years, we're all still around and we're actually, you know, doing some stuff and helping the waterfowl community and we've created some new hunters and, um, you know, added to the, mm, I guess, positive culture and, and, 
yeah, I think the end state for me is to, you know, try to help be an, an influencer, at least regionally for, um, conservation and, and, you know, new hunters and, and all that. So. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's one of the big reasons I created this channel. Um, at the end of the day, if all, if all I accomplish is getting one more guy into waterfowling or just one more person, I guess I should say, uh, just getting one more person into waterfowling that probably wanted to try it or thought about it, but didn't think it was for them. then I consider this channel a, a success. So, um, hopefully, uh, hopefully we can get more than one in, you know, interested in it, but yeah, uh, that's, that's, yeah. The, that's the goal. So, yep. But I think, uh, I think people, maybe they're getting tired of hearing us talk. <laughs> what do you think, Ben? I know for a fact they're getting tired of hearing you talk. No, I'm just kidding. That, I mean, I'm known for being pretty talkative, so. Yeah. That... <laughs> okay. No, I'm still amazed that uh, people still tolerate my page to be, or my podcast to be around, so. But yeah. Oh, another thing too. Uh, HTR Innovations. Um, I better mention this before we get off here. Uh, go like uh, last week's episode and share it so that you can try to get yourself into uh, an A-frame blind. We're doing a little drawing on Halloween for. Um, Ooh. Yeah, for an A-frame. So. I've seen that thing. It looks awesome. Pretty. I, I have their. I have their marsh stand, and I love it. I'm gonna be doing a review video on that, but so far I have. No complaints. The thing is awesome. Yeah, and that apron is awesome too. Yep, I'm I'm excited to actually hunt out of a um, a real A-frame instead of just my made my homemade ones. So maybe keep the heat in a little better. Yeah. So hey, you have something else coming up here too, don't you, Ben? What are you talking about? Aren't you doing a migration report? Oh yeah. Yep. Uh, as soon as. Not this week, but next week. Um, and then I'm also, yeah, we're going to be doing a migration report. I got my buddy Bill who is going to be giving us a weather report, like a legit, he's a he's a weatherman, a legit weatherman. So he's going to be giving us a weather report, and then we're going to be getting scouting reports um, from all the usual suspects and uh, anybody in the group. So if you're listening, go ahead, and uh, you can send us your, your we'll post in the group, and uh, we'll get you on there. So. Yeah, and I guess we should probably mention that uh, both you and I will also be on the duck gun migration report, which comes out, I think, I think the first one's Friday. I probably should get that to Jordan. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, me too, actually. Good good call. Yeah, no, he sent me the intro for, for that. Dude. It is awesome. Goosebumps. <laughs> yeah. So. That is, I'm so excited to see how that comes together. Yeah, it, it should be good. There's a lot of cool stuff this season, so. All right, Matt. Let's uh let's let's put this thing to bed. Alright. Alright. Later guys. See ya. Bye Matt. Bye. I wanna give a huge shout out, um, like we always do during this time, um, to our uh, partners. Um, so we got uh, Hunt Hickory Creek, which if you're not familiar with Hunt Hickory Creek, that's Chase and Cody and Scotty and Megan. They're all in the group, and uh, these are a good group of people. Um, I talked to at least one of them, mostly Chase, um, 
at least two or three times a week, uh, whether it's deer hunting or talking about birds or or just uh, you know rubbing in the uh, fantasy football smack talk and, and all that stuff. Anyways, hey, don't try, you don't put your money in something that you can't first validate or like get to know or you know something like that. You can get in there. You can literally see what uh, you're going to be getting out there in the blind uh, with you know these guys and these guides. So go check them out. Good people, even uh, better uh, uh, people to go hunt with. So. Uh, we've also got Dive Bomb Industries, and Dive Bomb Industries, um, you know, they've been—they did a lot of good work for us, and uh, put a lot of our listeners into um, some really affordable spreads. And I am just pumped to um, get out and start targeting some some big ducks with uh, with my spread that we're all set up with over here, and I just really, you know, excited to put the the 2D. Um, you know, ideology um, to the to the test. So, all right, we've also got Toe Tags LLC. Uh, you you guys heard Ryan's story, and if you haven't heard Ryan's story, go check it out. Um, episode twenty three. Uh, but anyways, just check out. Go look for the uh, Toe Tags LLC story. Um, you know we. Whether or not you want to argue that it is actually a you know regulation or an enforceable law or anything, I mean the law is the law, and I don't I'm not going to put myself uh, in a position uh, at least anymore uh, to where I can be you know whether or not I get a ticket is at the discretion of the you know investigating officer or or um, you know however things are going that day so. Um, just for a couple cents a day, uh, or hunt, I should say, you can be fully taken care of. You already spent all the money on the gas and stuff. So go tag your birds and make sure you're not throwing them in a big old pile. And, uh, yeah, go ahead and stay legal with Toe Tags LLC. We've also got Gypsum Creek Retrievers. Evan over there, um, in Gypsum with a creek running, you know, through the back of his yard, um, is running a awesome little uh kennel uh and i got to go out and i got to go hunt with his flagship dog and um got to see the way that he interacts with um that dog and just the way he talks about you know his business and his dogs and uh the people dog he's training like it's it's uh it's, it's really humbling to see a guy who's like so ate up with it and uh is just in it and he's just doing it out of passion and decided to make his passion something that can put, you know, um, dinner on the table. It's a heck of a, heck of a deal. Oh, uh, we've also got Athlon Optics. Um, Athlon Optics, go check these guys out. Um, they have some of the finest shooting scopes um, on the market, and their binoculars are bang up. Um, literally, they are... The same quality as something that you'd pay two or three times the price of, and they're just a solid um, feeling binocular, and uh, it's it's nice. You know, I'm not going to do any direct comparisons out there, but uh, I've held a lot of binoculars in my time, and I'm very satisfied with these uh, with these ones. So go check them out at Athlon Optics. I've got the the Midas uh, 10 by 42. 
uh, and it is suiting my needs perfectly out here um, in Kansas. All right. Um, next, we've got um, freelance hunt stats. Uh, I've, I've always logged and tracked all the birds that we've harvested and whatnot, but it wasn't until Elliot showed me his freelance hunt stats uh, at freelancehuntstats.com that it's not just a journal anymore. Now it's a database. Now I can go through and I can filter um, all the stuff that I want to know. Uh, you know, windy days, cloudy days, uh, days I shot all blue-winged teal, like things, things of that nature and um, even by location. And it's super affordable. You know, uh, just don't buy one monster this month or one Starbucks coffee and you've got yourself um, what you need to keep track. Plus, super helpful when you go to fill out those hit permits. So, all right. Uh, we've also got Duck Nuts. Uh, that's D-U-K-N-U-T-Z. Um, and if you haven't seen the videos or pictures of me uh, utilizing these things yet, uh, I freaking hate um, dealing with Texas rigs and I take out a lot of new hunters and I always end up, I'm always sitting there untangling stuff or unwrapping keels and uh, instead with these duck nuts, you just throw them on there and all you gotta do is literally you just stretch out the line or you can slide the, the weight um, all the way towards the decoy or down and you just throw these things in a bag. It's awesome. Hey, they even came out with a uh, a carrying. Uh, it always seems that my wife is always walking in whenever I'm doing the duck nuts uh, commercial because she's just looking at me because she thinks it's hilarious. Uh, but they just came out with a bag and it's called the nut sack, and uh, it is it's pretty cool. You can strap your shotgun to it. Um, they've also got hats um, too, and uh, for my boy Wilson listening out there. Uh, Hunter over at uh, Duck Nuts, he made a hat just for you, buddy, um, and all you other coot shooters out there. So, um, but yeah, so good stuff. Go check them out. Uh, just a really great product. Uh, we've also got the Duck Tech mobile app, and the Duck Tech mobile app is an app that's designed to help you get better at calling ducks. Um, it literally, it's got Barney Califf on there, a uh, two or three time uh, world duck calling champion, and he does the the call, tells you what it's for, why to do it, when to do it, and then you can actually go in and press record, record yourself, and then you can hear it side by side so you can see how you want to tweak it up. Pretty cool concept. Uh, a lot of times, you know, you're just dealing with like a DVD or, or some other, you know, like... Here's the sounds. Now make this sound. And that's not this right here. This is something that you can do on your commute. So pretty sweet. All right. Next we've got um, we got Gunner Kennels. And uh, Gunner Kennels, if you have never laid your hands on a Gunner Kennel, uh, probably some of the finest uh, craftsmanship or over example of overbuilding um, something. And that's perfect. That's fine with me. You know, my wife, she loves those things because um, it keeps the babies safe, uh, the, the fur babies. And at the end of the day, you're kind of charged with the responsibility of uh, that animal's life. And, you know, I wear my seatbelt. I don't text and drive. Um, why am I going to, like, 
just throw my dog in the back of the back of the truck to you know be in uh, jeopardy if something were to happen uh, and then uh, newest partner uh, that I want that I'm super excited to get you guys into is HTR innovations that's H uh, T R like Hunter uh, innovations and they've got the coolest little thing um, it's a stand that you can put out in the marsh that holds your gun um, holds my recording equipment box of shells all this other stuff check it out on the Instagram uh, page uh, they've also got an A-frame blind uh, that they come out with that is super simple to set up um, just like stupid simple and then they've got uh for you guys that absolutely hate layout blinds, they've got a layout blind insert and makes that thing just about as comfy as the living room couch. So go check them out. Um, and then last but not least, we've got SRB field rests. So you hiked into this muddy field, set out all your decoys, had your bag ready to go with your gun in it, and then you take your gun out and you just set it in the mud, or you you know you're constantly making sure that you you know don't fumble this thing around. These two little stakes from SRB Field Rest, stick them there, lay your gun down on them. You didn't come this far to like jam your your gun up with a little bit of mud because you got excited about some some geese uh, in your face. So that was really dramatic. I have a little bit of a stuffy nose, it sounds like, but... Alright, we just want to let you guys know, these companies are the bee's knees. Um, these are cool people, great people. I, like, I'm not just throwing them on here so that I can take up your time and, you know, make money or whatever it is. I believe in these products, I believe in these people, and uh, I'm a huge fan of somebody turning their passion into their everyday job so that they can try to escape some sort of um, nine to five where somebody else is their boss. Uh, and I'm a huge, huge fan of that. Um, you know, trying to do that myself. So, yep. Before, you know, think twice before you buy uh, uh, something, um, you know, similar to these. And, you know, they, they help bring you this show. And so if you like this show, you like it to be around. <coughs> you know, um, check these people out. So, all right, everybody, safe hunting. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Fowl Front Waterfowl Podcast. Please come join us on our Facebook group, the Fowl Front Waterfowl Podcast group, where you can connect with a good group of hunters because we're all in this together. We need to act like it so that hopefully our great great grandkids will be hunting ducks over our favorite public lands Uh, we also ask that you go ahead and give us a written review on itunes and give us five stars if you think we deserve it and we really do want to hear back from you uh, so that we can give you the best possible content and if you get in on that facebook group you can get in there and you can ask questions and you can tell us what you want to hear next or you can tell us uh, what you don't like and we'll be sure to tailor things to our listeners so all right stay safe out there and we will see you next week
Hey, you ever been sitting in front of your TV just wondering why you can't catch the latest episode of The Foul Front right there in your living room so you can press all your guests and family with your fine taste and podcast listening? Me neither. But hey, as a part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, you can now find The Foul Front and some other great podcasts on your Apple TV, your Roku, your Amazon Fire Stick, Smart TV, even your gaming console just by downloading the Waypoint app. And heck, while you're there, they got over 2,500 hunting and fishing shows on demand. Go download the Waypoint app today. go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.